0: Welcome to the Practical Missions Podcast. I'm your host. When we think about Frontier Missions hardship seems to be a part of the package. We don't expect things to be easy. In fact, we expect the government to be against us, the secret police to be looking into our situations. We expect Islamic communities, for example, not to be super happy about what we're doing. But what we don't expect is for the trials and troubles to come from our home churches. In fact, the home church is supposed to be the place of refuge, the people who are supporting you and, and praying for you during your hard time on the field. But today on the pod, I interview a woman who experienced the exact opposite. She experienced the hardest trials of her life from her church back home. And she shares with me today what that spiritual abuse Looked like I'm so grateful that she was willing to share her story with us today. I hope we can all learn from this that God is with us even in the midst of difficulties and also maybe how to reach out for help if we're being spiritually abused and how to comfort those who are experiencing abuse on the field welcome to the podcast you yes. are the first person who i've gone to interview who told me what they wanted to talk about so that's <laughs> really? good uh, yeah i love it uh, taking
1: over already no i
0: think it would be really good just to start with where you came from how you ended up in the middle east so tell us some of your story
1: <laughs> yeah i was here on the field for four years So not as long as you, obviously. Mm. I'm from a Central European country, German-speaking country. I did not grow up in a Christian home, and I come from a broken home, you can say. Our mom left when we were still kids. And I can really say that I was found by Jesus, Mm. the Good Shepherd. So when I was 16, I became a believer through a girl who I met in school, and she took me to church and youth group and so on, and... Actually, it wasn't difficult for me to believe. You know, I saw how people um, lived out what they believed. Wow, amen. It was really amazing. And it was really big, big salvation for me. I don't know where I would be without Jesus. So I really love to read the word. And I really love to be taught. Because I think I missed out a lot on discipleship from home. You know, my mom was gone. Our dad was not home much. So I think... I grew quite fast in faith and already after high school I decided to do one and a half years outside of my country to do some training for the work for the ministry and I was really caught like the Lord really touched me I think with wanting to do this work in the future but I knew after these one and a half years it's not going to happen immediately I heard clearly from the Lord I should go back and learn a profession Mm. so that's what I did and then I started to work Which is good. Um, I have a lot of experience in secular jobs. I think the Lord actually touched me several times or called me several times to step out of that life. But it didn't happen for quite a while because I was in a relationship with a young man, which did not go well. And I was really stuck in that for years. And it was really bad for both of us, actually. So I was in my early 30s when I finally was able to say again, Lord, what do you want from Mm. me? Lead me. I'm ready. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And then in 2015, I did a vision trip. To one of the neighboring countries. Yeah, I just, I, I think the Holy Spirit just, you know, hit me hard. Mm. <laughs> and I knew, whoa, I just yeah, want to do ministry full time and use my skills to serve people, to help people. And then from then on, actually, it happened quite fast. Like I presented this to my church and friends, and it was beginning of 2016. And I think after three or four months, I had like 100% of my support together. Wow, amazing, yeah. (laughs) So it was like a clear sign Mm. that's really like where the Lord is leading me. Yeah, and in summer 2016, I left my home country. I did apply to go actually to that other country first. But they said if you have no language, if you haven't learned how to live in this culture and so on, that's not an option. Mm. So this place was actually like the second option. And it worked out here. So for me, it was okay. The Lord is closing this one door and he's opening another door So I'm not going to say no to that, you know. Actually, why I chose that region or why that region was on my heart was because in 2015, we had this huge uh, refugee wave coming into my home country. Mm. And already back then, I helped in a ministry place for refugees um, every week, once or twice. And that's where I met people with the majority background, Um, from here speaking Arabic Mm. and I was just drawn to these people you know I mean there were other people groups and other languages there but I just wanted to connect with the Arabic speaking people and I tried to learn a little bit of Arabic and I don't know I mean I don't there's no different way I can explain but it it, my heart just exploded you Mm. know for them And then I was like, yeah, of course we, we can take care of them here, but wouldn't it be better to be actually like where they live and spread the good news mm. there already, you know?
0: Mm. And how old were you when you finally ended up in the Middle East?
1: I was 35.
0: And what was that like to be a 35-year-old woman coming out to the mission field for the first time, learning a new language, learning the culture? I suppose most people who come out as singles come out a bit earlier.
1: Uh, the first two years were hard. Um, I did realize quickly, though, I was not struggling at all with certain things, you know, like how to do life. Mm-hmm. I was able to do life. I know how to clean an apartment. I know how to go shopping. I know how to take care of myself. Some of I, these
0: basic things that people maybe were 19 or 20 yes, are still trying exactly. to figure out. Yeah. I know
1: how to connect to people and I know how to do small talk, mm-hmm. you know, coming from a profession like a secular job so I knew how to take care of myself and I think that really helped in the beginning Mm. I knew already a little bit about how people would see me here you know like that it would be really weird like people here think why are you here what are you doing blah 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 I knew before I came what kind of language school I wanted to do and it was really a wise choice and I really enjoyed that I was a bit slower maybe than the very young students but I was like okay I'm I'm able to do this I'm as intelligent mm. it's just another language to learn you know as as a european you have to learn like a few languages <laughs> it was hard but I studied really hard I tried really mm. hard and I could see about like 2 years later like all of that paid off mm. like even the cultural behavior um, my team, we were—it was quite strict, you know, for the first two years. So I kind of got used to everything the hard way, and then after the two years, everything was just a bit, you know, like easier because it was like
0: normal. What do you mean by strict? Like, what? What did that look? I like?
1: didn't like—I didn't fight against like what to wear, mm. when to be at home in the evening, how to behave towards men, and all these things. Um, those things were more easy for you it it made sense to me Mm. and i think i submitted to that and i saw it that it really helped in normal day life you know Mm. if you really try to adapt you know but yeah obviously it was hard often for me for me as a western single woman
0: Mm. did you get was it hard culturally for like local arabs to kind of put you into a box
1: um, yeah, I realized that quickly. It was often, you know, like the question they asked it was like, "Where I'm from," and then what I'm doing here, and then your marital status. And then if I'm married yeah. already, praise God! After like one year, I met my ministry partner mm. um, in language school, an eye doctor mm-hmm. um, from the West as well and one prayer request when i came to this region was lord please use my skills Mm. otherwise this doesn't make any sense Mm. to me and we were really surprised to meet each other you know he was like "Whoa, i've never met an optician before (laughs) on the field i'm like i've never met a doctor before who was a believer Mm. and we Realized immediately we need to do something together. We need to work together. So already after one year, I kind of found my identity mm. in this culture. And I always found like that people here accepted it really well. Like when I explained what we were doing mm-hmm. and where the money comes from.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what did you guys do? How were you guys able to use your eye, I don't know how, how to say it, your uh, your eye doctor skills mm-hmm. on the mission field?
1: So we started this, little ministry, the eye doctor brought some equipment um, with him every time he entered the country. And I sometimes brought stuff, but I also bought things here. We met a Christian businessman here who sold or who sells still ophthalmologic um, equipment. Mm -hmm. And he sold some stuff to us. So we kind of opened like an eye clinic, we call it. And everything that we used, we could carry, you know. Mm-hmm. So we checked people's eyes, you know, not just with like simple methods, but like with a real, for Raptor we say, like a real refraction, like that you would also do or get when you go to an eye doctor's office. And then we had frames with us. Um, so mm-hmm. people could choose frame for that. How would you get
0: people to come to you or know that you were there
1: it was mostly through a church that we contacted or other like ngos or Mm -hmm. centers Mm -hmm. that we contacted and as soon as the word spread
0: you can't stop people from people
1: called us you know like if we could come and serve and
0: you were so fortunate to find a mm-hmm. place to use your skills almost immediately mm-hmm. i think it's a big struggle for a lot of people to find after the initial like cultural learning and er- or the language learning as well to find uh, uh, find something to do with their mm-hmm. skills
1: uh, god was really gracious with me and he heard my prayer mm. and other people's prayer mm.
0: what did uh, what did prayer look like for you on the field was that a was that a big part of your ministry
1: Um, I would say that was the easiest and best way for us to bless people. Mm. Like, obviously, in the beginning, I didn't speak a lot of Arabic, but you can still learn like a short prayer in Arabic. And normally at the eye clinics, it was really stressful. Like, we had lots of patients, so there was not much time to share, like a lot. But we offered prayer like Mm. actively offered Mm. prayer and sometimes we even had people from the majority group like asking us Mm. we heard the christians pray for people can you please pray for me then i would ask i mean if it was the woman like is there something specific i can pray for and then we just prayed for people and blessed people and a few times it happens also like when people were kind of from from the area around that they would invite us you know to come To their house,
0: Uh, yeah, that uh, that leads well into my next question for you, which is about. I think a lot of times when we have, when we're doing humanitarian work or working with NGOs, it's hard to find, like, especially in creative access nations where you can't openly uh, share your faith with people. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you use your occupation? to actually engage with, engage the gospel with the people. Like, how do you mm-hmm. find, how did you guys find that balance?
1: I think we balanced well because we knew okay, we could easily work six days a week, mm. 10 hours a day, mm. but we did not do it. We did maximum three eye clinics a week because both of us were with a team as well, you know like reaching out to mm. different people or people in the neighborhood. So there was enough time to still go and visit people, try to get to know um, people.
0: Were were the people you were following up? Were there people that were were, the, were those people you met through the clinics, or were they just people you met in your, nor like your life outside working times?
1: Yeah, with the clinics, like only a few, because we were often outside of the city, mm. the main city where mm-hmm. we stayed. So we did a lot of clinics, like we had to drive for an hour or two. And it's, um, but always like connected to people already worked there and served Mm -hmm. there. So we would, like we know there's like a follow-up from their side. So I think most of the contacts or visits or um, situations where we were able to share was more like with the company team, visiting neighbors Mm -hmm. or contacts we we made. Mm.
0: I know like with single people i'm single you're single the need for community or relationships is so so different i think than for married people or, or for families i'm just wondering like for you what was it like to have for relationships or friendships between local people and foreigners what did that look like for you and like were there certain things you needed from one group that you didn't get from the other group
1: yeah hmm, interesting question I think like in my first year on the field, I was in a very difficult team situation. So I hardly got anything what I needed as a newbie on the field Mm. from the team, which I still think should happen Mm. mainly like from the team. But as I shared, I chose a specific language school. It was a Christian language school. I really enjoyed it. And I think during this first year... Most of what I needed, I think, actually came from the community there Mm -hmm. and from the fellowship. And I think it was the Lord's provision, you know. I changed into a different team after that. And that was really, really good for me because there was way more interaction with people. We lived in the same neighborhood. We saw Mm -hmm. each other during the week. But I still try to like make friends with local people which is just really hard in the beginning yeah um and you can't have many you know you can't get involved with like 10 families because you just don't have the time but i think in my maybe second year i had a very interesting encounter in the street Mm. with a young woman and this young woman became my best friend well. actually here in in the country most of the things I shared from the word um I shared with her actually mm. and it was also a very spirit led encounter that we had in the street
0: what 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 did community look like in the in the expat group is that where you got most of your like where you filled up your batteries or got most of your your social needs met i'm I'm asking the question because I think it's a like no matter how long we stay in the Middle East, like you will never be an Arab and I will never be an Arab mm-hmm. you know there's always like this need for community mm-hmm. with people who are more similar to us than our host country, but at the same time, we also like want to have deep, meaningful mm-hmm. relationships. And get something and give something in these relationships with Arabs as well with local people.
1: Yeah, I think that happened a bit later for me. Only, like, th- like I said, the first two years were very difficult. I was mm. very lonely. It was very hard for me. Um, I had to be very resilient. Mm. Pray really hard. I had. I, d- I didn't have like a stable room housemate situation. Mm-hmm. People coming that makes and a going. Big difference. Yeah. It was very difficult, Mm. yeah. I did get something from the team. I did get something out of that friendship with my local friend. And then also um, after maybe two and a half years, in between actually my dad died, you know. When I came back after three months in my home country, I kind of realized I need to change a few things, you Mm. know, like I'm too lonely. Um, I think I'm gonna burn out emotionally Mm. if it goes on like that so I also decided I did like my main church was a local Arabic speaking church Mm. and I totally stuck with them you know Mm. but after two and a half years I realized the only way I could do ministry with them was like kids ministry Mm. which is not not my field (laughs) And my passion. But I always um, led worship in my home church. Mm. And even on the field a lot. And so I joined a different international church. Just for that reason. Mm. In order to lead and serve there. Um, Because it was good for me. And it was good for them Mm. (laughs) as well. And so with this little like worship team group. um, I had good connections. I really liked that. But I think... You can't compare it, or I could never compare it with relationships and friendships I had back in my like home church. I had very, very good friendships. Mm. But I think at the same time, I realized this is just reality, you know. You see people coming and going. I'm not always feeling like the best, you know. Like, I have ups and downs. <laughs> oh, really? But as I said in the beginning... <laughs> I was very able to take care of myself. Mm. I knew how to make new um, friends, mm. friendships like how to connect to people. I very much saw it in my responsibility to mm. do that mm. and not wait yeah. for other people to show up.
0: Yeah, I think that's super important to to be proactive in those steps, mm. but I know it can also be it can also feel lonely when you're always taking the proactive steps mm, to get closer very much. to people. I want to circle back to those that what those comments you made about loneliness and com- kind of coming to the edge of emotional burnout. What I mean, what did I mean, of course you like you I uh, I'm assuming your father's death was a big part of of that or did that amplify what you were already feeling?
1: I thought <laughs> that time back home spending just a few weeks with my dad before he died and the time after was maybe the most difficult. Hmm time I had in my life, but back then I didn't know yet what was coming in the future. So um, it was very difficult, these like months where I was at home and my hometown is far from my home church. Hmm. So I did not have a lot of support, emotional, spiritual support Hmm. during that time, which was very hard. But there is a church in town and there was a lady, she's a counselor, and I just had some sessions with her. Mm. And after about three months, I really felt like I'm ready to go home you know to the Middle East to the Middle East wow. and that showed me where my heart actually mm. was and where I wanted to be
0: and what was it like when you came back to the Middle East did you did you have a crash did you no, feel like you got I better
1: totally actually how do you say
0: like healed that was part of the healing yeah. process was coming back to the yeah. field
1: I missed out on my language um, semester because of the time back home um, and had a bit of a break till like my last semester and I Tried uh, a different language school. I just tried some different things. Mm. And it was really good for me because I felt like, oh, I've just, I've, it feels like I have grown like more into this mm. life here. Mm. I'm more myself again. Like, And then there was a, a summer break. I was actually, I went back home again because we had to sort it out uh, stuff in my dad's house. And, you know, you have meetings with the lawyer and blah, blah, mm. blah. Yeah. But then I came back for my last language semester, which I really enjoyed, you know. I don't know. It was just different after two years. I Mm. I felt like, okay, I passed through this dark valley Mm. and I'm kind of accelerating now. Mm. And things went really well.
0: And things continued to go really well. And I think you really felt like your place was here and God was using you. Mm. And then what happened?
1: About... A year later, I went back home actually to visit supporters. It was just like a two-weeks visit or maybe three weeks because I was supposed to visit my supporters that year when my dad died. And obviously, that didn't happen because I was like, yeah.
0: wasn't Um, wasn't the right time. wasn't
1: the right time. So I came back home and on day one... Um, I had this meeting with my support team that was led by one of the church leaders. I don't know what a correct English expression would be, but I felt like someone shot me from behind. Wow. You know, or kicked me down from behind. Wow. Um, I was presented with a lot of assumptions And I would also say lies in order to bring me home from the field.
0: You're the person responsible for your support team. Mm -hmm. You felt like shot you in the back. Mm -hmm. What happened?
1: I don't know. I mean, till this day, I can't understand it, you know, like intellectually with my mind. I do understand certain parts of it. But in that moment, I was just very, like I really went into shock. Mm. Like I was so puzzled. I did not know how to respond, what to say. I just started to cry, obviously. Mm. Basically, I was just presented with their decision or this person's decision and the church leadership that I have to come home immediately because of different reasons. There were things that looking back I'm like I was like okay we can talk about these things you might be right I might be right you can see it from different different angles but there were things that I knew immediately this is not right mm. you don't know what you're saying you made up your mind you made up your own story and you're just presenting this to me and there was no room for questions for discussions, for emotions. Hmm. And it was it was horrible. It was really, really horrible. I really went into shock behavior. It was very traumatic for me.
0: What was this narrative that they were telling you?
1: Like I said, there were different things. I mean, one point was uh, that I'm withdrawing money from the church that they could use for... Other things. Oh. Which was only true, I think, for the part of my support that I literally was from that church, which was not even a tenth of my support.
0: So they were saying, right now we're supporting you to be a cross cultural worker in a creative access nation and we don't think that's a good investment for our money. Mm-hmm. We think it could be spent in other places. Yeah.
1: But it was that's even more than that because they the ch- that church gave me a, a very small amount of my support and it, I had mainly private supporters like individual from the people, individual people yeah. from the church and outside of the church. So for me, they were basically saying all of these people are not obedient to like give to the church or obedient to god like where they should give so for me this was like mm. very greedy to say mm. you know
0: you were competing for finances with the church
1: yeah um they were basically saying all of these people are not doing the right thing and i was like how can you say this about well, your own people <laughs> about your own members so i mean okay money is always an issue i realize. but you know for me um god was so faithful i had 100 percent like four years wow. stable it was just you know god proved to me this is why he wants me then there was the topic like "Of there's no fruit mm. of my ministry mm, here
0: interesting tell me more about that
1: which was um one topic where i thought okay we, but we need to talk about this obviously you mm. have not understood how ministry in my home country works and how ministry
0: in your adopted country in works. my
1: adopted country works mm and how would you feel they were like this leader and his family and a second person involved in the support team they were workers themselves in my home country Mm, interesting so i'm like how would you have felt if after four years someone said to you there is no fruit Mm. this is like a really bad judgment Mm. to make you know um but like I said, there was no room for discussion.
0: Can I can mm-hmm. I stop you there? I I I think this is this is an important topic. I think a lot of people, especially in hard places, I hate like I hate to say I I, I have I had a pastor come once and he said uh, maybe I've told this story before, but I had a pastor come to uh, the country I work in, and he looked around at all these mosques and all these Muslims, and he said, "Why?" Aren't there more Christians here? Like, why Why isn't the gospel spreading more here? Mm-hmm. Why aren't more people being saved? And I said, how should I know? Like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why people mm-hmm. hate the gospel so much. I don't know why the ground is so hard here. I don't know why we can share, 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 share. And nobody, and not nobody, but very few people receive. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know? I'm curious to know, like on a personal level, how did you understand the difference between maybe obedience and fruitfulness or i don't know like how did you in those four years of maybe little visible fruit how did you justify that to yourself or deal with that on a personal level
1: i definitely pursued these things but i always tried not to feel guilty if not too much, you know, like happened. I knew that I was praying with people and sharing with people as as well as I could. Mm. I knew it was a hard place. Even after four years, you you still like you like you're still learning about the culture and mm. what what works and what doesn't work. And but I really sensed like I, I like I never felt guilty, you know, about being here not happening too much because I'm coming from a country where it's exactly the same situation. Yeah,
0: I was I was wondering. I'm, yeah,
1: my home country is a very closed country. You know, mm. they call it the missionaries' graveyard wow. because really there's so little going on. And I was so surprised that especially this one person and another one who are workers themselves mm. and have been in the country for more than twenty five years. Mm. They, had, they haven't seen much fruit. So for me, it was just totally out of context mm. somehow. I realized quickly that's an accusation. It's not a real inquiry about mm. like, what's going on in your ministry. How do you do things? Could there be much fruit? Um, can you change whatever? It was an accusation that after four years, whatever, no one gave his life to the Lord, or I haven't started a home group or mm. whatever. So that was the bigger problem for me, actually
0: Did it feel a bit like of a like a bit of a betrayal?
1: Yeah, you? I felt so betrayed. another point was that they said i'm under no one's leadership and authority, which just isn't true which just isn't true i I said, but what do you think about this person, my team leader, and I'm working with the eye doctor, and I have a field leader, and they just completely ignored that mm. and After a few days when I was able to share a little bit with some outside people and with people here, you know, some people stepped up for me big time, Mm. like the eye doctor, like he contacted the, my leadership Mm. back home and our field leader contacted um, the leadership back home, trying to like explain and really speak up for me, which made me so proud, you know, Mm. like. Even though it was so horrible, I know people stepped up for me and Mm. also people from my church. So it was not like the whole church had this opinion. There was like lots and lots of people who went to them and said, what is going on? Like, what are you doing? What is happening? Like, we don't see things like you see, you know. And Even the problem was this support team leader and this other person, they just did their own thing they did not share with the team, they did not get the team together, they just did their own stuff.
0: Just made a a unilateral decision.
1: Yeah and one other thing was that what they said was it's not safe for me here and then I said okay this is something we can talk about you know safety but I mean at the end what what does it come down to, you know? At the bottom is like, mm. how safe does ministry have to be? Mm. Like, if you serve Jesus, you know, mm. like where where are you completely safe? And how much how much sacrifice does Jesus deserve? Mm. You know, it was also just a, I don't know a made up reason for me to come back. Yeah,
0: safe and comfortable are not two words that yeah. normally go along with with frontier missions. Mm,
1: And especially when no one of them actually came to visit, you know, Mm. and look at how life works Mm. here and how I'm living and behaving and, yeah, how my ministry looks like. And I did offer to them, actually, that was kind of in between. I realized, okay, something needs to happen. I can either disobey and Mm. say, I'm just going to stay here like, don't tell yeah. me what to do. Yeah. But I had good advice, like from people um, saying, don't fight against them. Wow. It will so destroy, destroy you. Hmm. Submit to them, to their decision. And I knew the church leadership was not one. They did not have unity on this. Hmm. So I did submit. I said, okay, I'm going to come back. Wow. This is not my decision. They said, but you have to have a yes for this as well. It needs to be your decision. I said, no. This is your decision.
0: So they're basically they're kicking you off and then saying, but we want you to leave mm-hmm. on your own. Yeah, yeah. It's very tricky. It's, it's, it's very, very deceptive. Tricky. I feel like um, it almost it's sounds very like they deceptive. Um, they didn't want to take the responsibility for kicking yeah. you off, and or then for pulling your funding. Maybe the
1: biggest thing was that they said they did not send me. And I was like, and people were like, but we were there. Like we were at your like sending (laughs) service and we saw you praying for me and all these things. So it was very not see-through. It was very much coming from the back. You know, like I said, I just felt like someone kicked me from behind, shot me from behind. And I did after I said, okay, if this is it, um, I'm coming back This is your decision. It's not my decision. Mm. I made this clear also to my supporters, so people knew. But I did offer still, because I came back here, you know, to finish up and pack up and whatever, but I did offer to them, that was actually before Corona (laughs) happened and before the first lockdown Uh started, I said, please, there's still time, come visit, come look at what we're doing here, see with with your your own own eyes, eyes. Um, and I did not even get a response ah. to that email. Oh. I was waiting for, I was like in prayer. I was waiting for a response. Mm. No one responded on that email. So, pff, yeah. I I realized the Lord showed me human words, my words are not gonna solve the situation. Mm. If someone like this made up his mind this strongly, and the whole leadership goes rather with him hmm. than with involving uh, me and finding out the truth. There is no way I can change the situation with my words. Hmm. So I just stopped.
0: So you sub- you submitted to what your church was asking you or what individuals in your church were asking you to do. Tell me how, I mean, that must have been very humbling on your your part. I mean, The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So well done uh, in, in humbling yourself. That's massive. Tell me how you think this maybe would have been different if you weren't a single woman.
1: First, I must say, I'm not a very humble person. <laughs> it was maybe one of the hardest decisions in my life I oh. had to make. I, I must honestly say I did not humble myself and submit with joy. Hmm. It was a fight, you know, hmm. to come to this point. And even the day I booked my, like, flights, my flight back home, during lockdown, I mean, you remember, mm, yeah. you didn't know from day to day what was what, going to happen. What's going to happen if the airport was going to be And I had to empty my apartment and, you know, sell stuff and say goodbye and whatever. Um, even that day when I booked my tickets, I was just sitting there mm. crying, wow. you know? because I'm like, I don't want to leave, but I have to leave. And now I forgot your question. What was your question?
0: How do you think your marital Mm -hmm. status Mm -hmm. played into this decision?
1: Um, I think these things happen to families and single men as well. Mm. I've heard stories, but I heard most stories from single women. Mm. Actually, the, the moment it happened to me, I immediately heard, other stories you know even from women here mm. in this region and it, I was shocked I was even more shocked because I was like I can't believe this is happening to, to me and I can't believe this is happening to other people it wow. filled me with so much pain wow. I think the marital status and I'm not saying this like this is a general truth it was true in my story with my church leadership I realized only through this uh, situation how uh, some church leaders view single women mm. in church, ministry in church, on the field, ba- like generally in life, you know. Mm. I realized there's quite a lot of men in leadership who cannot deal with single women especially i think it's it's especially men maybe who have control issues maybe leaders in the church who got too much control or Mm. authority sometimes with a narcissistic uh, nuance (laughs) in their character so i for me actually what helped me to bring this down like to ground myself was I did realize what this man actually was, how he viewed single women. Women, yeah. And especially me. And I'm like, okay, so I'm trying to understand where he's coming from, his worldview, the way he grew up, what he heard, I don't know, like his family background. And then, of course, it makes sense, but it still doesn't have, he still doesn't have, he's still not allowed to make such a decision Mm. over me, Mm. completely overstepping boundaries. I'm saying no, the person keeps on overstepping boundaries, and that's actually when abusive behavior started also. Mm. There's a story after that. So,
0: What do you mean by abusive behavior?
1: Abuse always happens when someone is stepping over your personal boundaries mm. you say no you're not allowed to do that but the person keeps on doing it mm. and is trying to over, over- overwhelm, overwhelm you. you and like take control of you i mean it's uh, we can imagine it be- better maybe when it happens physically mm. if there's physical abuse also emotional abuse is a bit more difficult but it's the same pattern also with spiritual abuse mm. Uh, But I did not realize for a long, long time what was actually going on, you know, Mm. like in this whole situation. Also because I didn't have help for like nine months. Wow. Uh, Since like after that incident, I had no, like no one debriefing me, counseling me, helping Mm. me through stuff, praying through things with me. Mm. It happened very late for me. But it did happen. I did get help um, eventually when I was already back home. I was at a prayer meeting with our company, and we had a new company leader who was already there when the incident happened, but he was not involved. He did not get involved, Mm. or he wasn't involved, I don't know. And he saw me, and he looked at me, and he saw like how I'm doing. I Mm. mean, I was so destroyed, you know. Mm. So he called me in and he said, we need to talk. You know, I mean, I can see you're like Mm. completely destroyed.
0: you know. How long was this after you were called off the field? Nine months. Wow.
1: So, I mean, I was just crying. It was the first actually time that I was allowed to speak openly Mm. and to cry and for someone just to listen to me. And to handle being able to handle my emotions and my tears, which this other person couldn't handle. There were no emotions allowed, mm. no questions allowed, no tears allowed, no talking allowed. I was just the rebellious single woman who is not submitting to, to leadership but for like when the company leader stepped in, something changed in my spiritual mm. realm. Wow. Because he offered to be my mediator. He offered to stand in between um, me and the church leadership. Mm. And I felt a huge weight like lifting off my mm. shoulders. Yeah. So that was very, very helpful. But yeah, very late, you know, like nine months. Then you're already in the middle of trauma Mm. and maybe PTSD and
0: (laughs) I'm curious to know how long did this go on for nine months sounds like it's too long already
1: yeah I was and but I mean I was back in the country and I could not even think about re-entry you know Mm. I I couldn't handle life you Mm. know I didn't sleep I had panic attacks Mm. My, my my like my thoughts were racing my heart was racing Like, I clearly showed, like, you know, like, physical signs of trauma and shock still. Wow. And and then, like I said, the leader stepped in to be my mediator. Hmm. And that helped Hmm. very much. He saw that I'm actually afraid of this person, you know. I can't trust this person. I physically felt threatened by this person, the church leader, even though I was two hours away from that place. I physically felt the threat. And then I went back actually to my old church where I became a believer when I was a teenager. And some people knew about my story there. And so every time I went back to the company office for conversations, I had someone with me. Hmm. I had an, wow. uh, an an older man with me who I consider like my, you know, dad yeah. or so. And I've known him for a long time so that someone else would hear all the things we're yeah. talking about, you know, yeah. like... Um, yeah, that you're... Accountability, yeah,
0: you know. Yeah, 100% to understand what, like the value behind having somebody with you.
1: Mm-hmm. And we tried for months after that to communicate with the other side it all went through the company leader they were not allowed to talk with me directly
0: that must have been so relieving
1: it was so relieving and yeah we tried for maybe four or five months Mm. but the story just got was getting worse and worse Mm.
0: what were you trying to do what was what was the resolution you wanted to we see? We
1: still try to have this initial conversation about what like what happened mm-hmm. nine months before, wow. like talk like let's talk through these yeah. things that you assume hmm. and dump um, on this like. Woman. So they
0: weren't even dignifying you with hearing your story no
1: they didn't want to hear my story my side so we just tried to do that you know mm. not even talk about whatever the future or getting you back to the Middle East or whatever or whatever, whatever yeah. just about what happened you mm. know and trying to make peace mm. like have a conversation like I was ready like I'm ready to cry and fight and pray Mm. and talk about stuff and let's go through this together but it was not possible from the other side it Mm. was completely they completely shut down and especially this one leader and it was like I said it was getting worse uh, in the sense that this leader actually thought that he was the victim
0: oh
2: what
1: and (laughs) he tried to turn the whole thing possible around he started to dig out stuff from my past Mm. with i mean most of the things from my past are out in the open Mm. because i i i share very openly with people about painful things you Mm. know about sin whatever so everyone like my supporters knew about these things my Mm. family knew about these things but he dug it out like in front of the company leader to wow. show my bad character. Wow. And and maybe he thought I was I was doing the same thing, but I'm like but we're not talking about him, you know, we're mm. just talking about what happened and why he has all these opinions and he just turned the whole thing around um against me. Mm. And Yeah, like I said, I was so thankful to have a mediator and other people listening Mm. in because it was just obvious that this is not leading anywhere. Sometimes I think you can sort out conflicts like that if both parties are willing to talk Mm. and fight a bit, you know, and and cry and whatever, like go through the hard stuff together, ask the hard questions. Uh, And it takes a while most of the times but it didn't happen for me and i was just i was just you know like going downhill emotionally mm. spiritually physically so these two men they said we're gonna stop this now mm. like we can't watch you <laughs> anymore it's just mm. it's getting too it's getting too much this is not getting anywhere we are making this decision for you now we are stopping the conversations wow. and you are allowed to leave the church. You're
0: you're free now.
1: No blame on you. Like, Mm. there's no condemnation for those who aren't Jesus. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, I mean, we prayed about it, and I prayed about it privately. And then the only thing I did was I just sent them an email saying, I'm leaving the church, I'm resigning my membership, Mm. God's blessings.
0: Did they respond?
1: They didn't. Yeah, they just sent me the paper of my... resignation resignation yeah and then um, that was one thing that was kind of closed like for me I'm like okay that's it I'm done big relief but I was still very much in trauma and shock so the company director said you need help you need some professional trauma counseling which I didn't even know about I didn't know that trauma counseling existed you Mm. know (laughs) so I said yeah Uh, True. But I want to talk with someone who knows kind of where I'm coming from, where I served. I want a woman. And he found someone for me, a a single woman who's older than me, who served in this area as a single woman. And um, there's a trauma counselor. Is a trauma counselor. And I would have loved to do it like in person, but it was still lockdown time. So we met every other week Mm. online and it was almost as she was sitting in the same mm. room. It was so blessed. And she took me step by step through what happened. Mm. A big part of trauma counseling is you suddenly have someone who goes back with you, together with you, by your side, mm. to the traumatic things that happened. Wow! And But now in a safe way, huh? Now in a safe way, watching me. Mm. And it's basically about... Asking questions then, like what happened, what did you see, what did you think, mm. what did you hear, what did you sense wow. with your body yeah. and is there anything else you want to share. And we just did that with every step of the way.
0: Frame by frame. It wow. was
1: amazing and that went on for three months wow. and then we when we had our last session I literally said, "I think this is my last session. Wow. I think I'm done. <laughs> wow, I think amazing. we're done. I'm through it. Wow. I made it through it, and wow. never felt left or forsaken by God. Mm. I, I, from the beginning, I knew this is human thinking. This is human thoughts, human decision, human error, whatever you might want to call it, and never doubted like mm. God's mm. love um, or." A compassion oh. with me that was like seven months after i came back so still no re-entry <laughs> mm. um yeah but it was just it was really amazing i'm very thankful for this for the this woman and the help i got from her and i'm very thankful to my The government in my country because you know uh, my contract with the company was finished and in my country you can be unemployed for six months Mm -hmm. and still get money benefits like from the government so I knew I like okay it took me three months now for the trauma counseling and I still have three months now Mm. to start reentry start looking for a job for an apartment Mm. and so on and the Lord provided Provided what I needed. I didn't know what I needed at that time, you know. And I think I didn't pray a lot about these things, you know. Mm. Like I said, Lord, I know in three months I need work. Please give me mm. a work where I can use my skills. I did pray for a job with an eye doctor specifically. And I started to pray for a, an apartment, but not with a joyful heart, you know. It's, mm. It was still like, this was not my decision. I don't want to be here, mm. but I can accept being here now. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: this is now like getting into the re-entry part of your story, isn't it?
1: Yeah, only now. Thinking, like, yeah,
0: wow! It's it's incredible. Yeah.
1: I often say, I mean, I was lucky. I was blessed not to just fall apart. You know. Wow. So I think so many people go through difficult situations, and they lose their trust in God mm. and their calling and mm. the vision but all like even in my darkest hours during that time i realized my vision and my calling is still the same Mm. It doesn't go away Mm. so that shows you something you Mm. know that shows you some truth in your heart yeah
0: thanks for sharing you're welcome it's a powerful story we often think that especially in missions probably especially in missions in the arab world in the muslim world the enemy is without in a sense you know mm. but your story has is like this sh- um, the shock is that the fiery darts are coming from within from the inside from yeah. the inside of the mm-hmm, church yeah and from people who are actually like responsible for you financially mm. to be out on the field
1: yeah very true i I would have never expected that like you said, I expected the hardships like at the field on the field
0: yeah, you expect the Muslims to want drag bad for down. you <laughs> or lie about you or slander you. Or harass you. me. Or, yeah, but yeah. but not people um, in the church.
1: Yeah. Looking back, I can say I did learn a lot of things through this painful situation. I was not very educated before that about like spiritual abuse. What mm. does that mean? You know, like toxic leadership, mm. things like this. And like um, women being ad- abused, like wherever, mm. however, and I, I just started to educate myself, like starting to read things. yeah and you there's a lot of stories out there. What was really helpful for me was as well, this member care course that started in 2020 when I was mm. still here. and this guy who's leading this course, he goes exactly through all these topics, you know, wow. especially the first year, when I couldn't figure out what was going on at all in my life. He talked about narcissism, toxic teams, toxic leadership mm. boundaries, cultural differences, cultural behaviors, shame and honor uh, culture towards Western culture and looking back, I was like, "Oh my goodness, like I had no help like in mm. person from people, mm. but every week the Lord used like these topics that came in Whoa. on that course to, to teach me, mm. to educate me actually about what is going on
0: in your life at in that my moment. Life, yeah. Incredible.
1: And the Lord really, I had two very strong visions that He gave me. Mm. I'm a very visual person. I'm not a very charismatic person, but I'm a very visual person. So I need to see things. Mm. And the Lord knew, like in these very dark hours, traumatic hours he needed to come in a different way for me to understand things, Mm. you know?
0: What were those two visions?
1: They're connected, actually. The first one was, during one of these member care topics, first of all, there was just this random Bible verse in Proverbs 29 that says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Hmm. So that was big truth that I learned about the situation that I'm actually afraid of this person. Fear of I'm people. Fearing this man. Wow. I re- I really had to repent from that, but the vision uh, during that time was I was listening. I you know I looked through. I could not concentrate at all. I couldn't read at all. Mm. I couldn't praise. I couldn't pray. So I was just scrolling through songs, worship songs, and yes. I came across this Christian musician and listened to one of his songs, and it's called. This garden is going to grow. I listened to this song and then it was during the day I had this vision. I saw myself standing in my garden. It was my garden. There's a fence around this garden. My garden is just in the middle of God's garden. Jesus's garden, you know, it's his garden, it's his kingdom. My garden is just a little part of it. And I saw Jesus standing next to me. I'm like, Jesus, I don't understand what's going on like what happened mm. and then i heard a noise from the distance and i saw a bulldozer and this bulldozer approached my garden in full speed and i screamed no no this is my garden mm. you're not allowed to trespass don't step in and this bulldozer just ran over my Flouted fence over, and ran over all the plants and all the flowers and all the beautiful things Mm. that grew in my garden you know and then left mm. and i was like oh my goodness i was yeah destroyed and and i i saw like jesus and me looking at the destruction and mm. like this showed me like what happened to me somehow and then i said to jesus but what am i going to do now you know like um, and he said this garden is going to grow again mm. And it was a big promise. But there was a lot of destruction for a long time, like I shared. Mm. And then maybe half a year ago, so maybe one and a half years after everything happened, we had a service in my home church. Like once every two months, we have a church service where people can just share testimonies and stories. And everybody was talking about gardens and flowers and trees. And I had this vision during church service. I was in that garden again with Jesus. There was not much growing at that point, but suddenly I saw this like shadow of something huge and I looked up and there was a huge tree, you know, mm. that I didn't see before. Mm. And I said to Jesus, what is this tree? Like I didn't see it before because I was so focused on the the ground and the, the plants and whatever. And he said, this is your tree. I'm like, but this is a big tree, like a big, strong tree. And he said, yeah, and it's been there all the time. Like mm. you, your life—it's mm. a big tree with deep roots, mm. and and no one is gonna take mm. that down. You know. Mm. So, yeah, it was
0: a comforting image, a, a very comforting, comforting picture. picture. Yeah,
1: picture like Jesus reassuring me. People can take away things from you, or they mm. can kill you, mm. but they can't destroy like mm. the relationship oh. with me.
0: Amen. Amen. Maybe just as we close, kind of final thoughts, uh, I, I wonder like you you mentioned that as you experience this, other people also shared that they've experienced mm. this kind of maybe spiritual abuse or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, what would you say to somebody who is experiencing a bit of uh, yeah, spiritual abuse or people crossing boundaries or emotional abuse or gaslighting or whatever? What would your... What would you say to that person who's experienced that? How? What would your advice be?
1: I would say, hang in there. God is not going to forsake you. It depends very much on the situation, you know. But it's it happens. Mm. We just don't expect it. It happens. And don't try to fight it. You have to go through the, the trauma. You have to go through the pain. Oh, wow go with it it's like with grieving Mm. you have to go through the morning you have to experience it Mm. and i'm very much like i said i'm trying to educate myself but i've also started to reach out to people Mm. when i see them struggling Mm. and offer help and i hope and pray very much that when traumatic things happen to other people that there will be people around them Hmm. who are willing to step up and step in and just be there, Hmm. you know?
0: I think as well, a lot of fields and a lot of organizations and a lot of home uh, sending offices actually provide counseling if you ask for it people in in member care or peace people care or whatever it is uh, who are counselors so i think as well just like just to mm. like see if your organization offers anything and yeah. then take advantage of that
1: the problem is if you're if you're really traumatized and in shock it's you can't sometimes ask for help mm. you need other people yeah. to step in and yeah. take this responsibility and you don't i i believe you don't have to be a professional counselor or mm, member care, wow. care, member care person to do this good word you just have to be a normal follower of jesus who is interested mm. in someone else's wow. life amen yeah and i think we all like all of us can work on that 100
0: percent. that is a fantastic place to end this thanks for being with me today <laughs> i'm very Appreciate welcome it. i
1: really enjoyed it
0: amen to that wow so powerful i love those two images of the garden and the tree praise god that god sees far far more than what we see and our hope is ultimately in him well you made it to the end of the podcast thanks for being with me today god bless and remember it's okay to be normal